what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. April 3rd, 2020, episode number 126. It is Friday and it is April. <laughs> the spitting facts, man. I love it. Boom. Uh, what's going on, dude? Nothing, man. I'm just uh, tired of sitting here doing nothing. You surviving or are you thriving? I'm, I'm barely surviving. I'm not making a paycheck, so I'm just uh, trying not to spend any money, trying to stay off of the anywhere I can shop and uh, just trying to stay safe. It's been a, it's been funny of like me and the girl have been like doing the remote work and listening to each other's conference calls and stuff. She was on a conference call earlier this week and somebody asked her, you know, if she's surviving. She goes, no, I'm thriving. Like her and I are pretty serious introverts. Like this is normal for us, which sounds kind of weird for most people because they're, <laughs> they're like struggling, but her and I, we're cool with like hanging out at the house, working from home and not really doing shit so well me and my girlfriend we have a list of movies and stuff we want to watch and we we watch something we'd mark it off and we look at each other like well now what are we going to do and so <laughs> we're we're ready to get outside and do something we actually went and uh found a trail yeah it's like a mountain bike trail but uh we went kind of hiking on it and there was a few people so we'd stop and let them go by and and we stayed away from everybody, but you know we had to get out of the house, and we did that last weekend. So it's kind of nuts, uh, man. You uh, go out and you see people in masks and gloves, dude. It's getting it's getting kind of real for sure. Yeah, it's it's serious, that's for sure. Well, enough about the corona. You want to talk some flat track? Yeah, I do. So last week we talked, and we said if we start the season off in Lexington, it'll be the first time that AFT started on a on a mile track in quite some time. Well, I didn't have my facts in front of me, but I did some research. Look through the media guide, and 1988 was the was the last time we started on a mile, and that was the Sacramento Mile, and one of my heroes, Bubba Schobert, won that race. Oh, yeah, so they actually started the season in Sacramento? Yeah, there was like a little West Coast swing back then, and, and that was the huh. last year that that happened. Since then, we've always, since then, we've started in Daytona. The way things are shaping up right now, I don't even know if we're going to get there for, for that Kentucky race. Trust me, I'm remaining optimistic. And I hope we get it in, and as well as the other 17 races. But uh, the more I see, the more I start to think that may not be realistic. I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't know either. But what I do know is I talked to Steve Nace earlier in the week. And the actually, p- people from the fair board there at Springfield, Illinois, got a hold of him. Yeah. And they're planning on starting their season or continuing their season May 22nd in Springfield, Illinois. It'll be a three-day three day race. It'll be two days of short track and one day of TT. And that's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, since there's no Grand National going on that weekend, uh, that might be the next time we see some real, you know, uh, you know, real racing. I don't know. We watched some pretty real racing the other night. That was pretty cool. The eye racing is it's very intriguing. It's I've been awesome. digging it, dude. I'm telling you, it, it's it's the closest thing to real racing. And I found myself yelling at the screen just like I do sometimes watching a real race. The uh, the late model shit was pretty damn cool, though. Yeah, they were like three wide. We, we missed the sprint car part of it, um, but you can tell who's been driving these before. As they went on longer and longer, you could tell Kyle Larson got more and more comfortable driving that car. Yeah. And I talked to Graham about it, and, and she said that was the – she said – Pasta, that was the best sprint car race he's ever seen. And I just thought, I thought, how cool is that, man? I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even see the sprint car stuff, but that late model stuff was cool. For me, it was the coolest part about it was watching how the dirt changed in real time as they took laps, right? Um, as it laid down rubber, 
you know, if they got that figured out for late model and sprint cars, there's no reason why they can't do some motorcycle shit on there. And, and I think the hardest part would be setting up a rig for the riders to ride on. But I don't know, man. I think it'd be interesting. You know, it'd be different because you're not hanging on the handlebars. Maybe if you, if, I don't know if you could steer with, you know, a, a steering wheel because you can get steering wheels for these, you know, games everywhere. Yeah. I don't know if there's any handlebars out there just yet. Or you could use a controller maybe. But there's got to be a way to do it. And I just think, you know, they've already got Charlotte dirt track. I don't know how many other dirt tracks they've got laid out already. You know, we know they've got all kinds of NASCAR tracks. But, uh, man, it'd be really cool to have some some iRacing flat track. Aren't they plugging computers and shit into those FTR 750s? Why can't you just plug a video game into it and just you sit on your F- FTR 750 and, <laughs> cool. and ride Springfield? You'd have to have a lot more connected to it. Yeah, man, I don't know. It's it's a, it's definitely tough to get by without racing. You know, we have that at least there's something. Uh, but yeah, I got to tell you, man... <laughs> I've been enjoying watching uh, some of the content that people in the flat track community are putting out. Even though we're not racing, uh, they are. There are a few people that are putting out some content. One, first and foremost, I got to give a shout out to uh, to Sammy, Sammy Sabedra, dude. He's been killing it with the Tiger King post. I don't. You, have you watched this Tiger King yet or no? Well, I haven't watched it because I live it. I live right here in Oklahoma. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I don't know this guy, but That's right. we you watched are the first Oklahoma. episode. Yeah, yeah. He's just like 55 miles down the road. But oh boy, I haven't met him personally, but we watched the first episode. We couldn't really get into it, so we haven't watched any more of it. But, but I saw Sammy's post where he's he's there with no shirt on and he's got some of his teeth and and I just I was cracking up. I tell hilarious. you, if you do try to watch it, it just gets worse and worse every episode. Like, you, <laughs> how can it get worse? Dude, that's exactly what you say to yourself. But the next episode, you're like, holy shit, it's worse. And then you're like, holy shit, wow. the next episode, it just, it, it just compounds and it's insane. But I completely understand why it's not for some people. It wasn't really for me, but it's like a train wreck. I couldn't even turn it off. Um, but yeah, Sammy Sebetra's posts are spot on. It's killing, been killing me all week. Um, a little, an a awesome distraction. And, uh, I don't know, you seen like other people in the community, like, uh, Alicia Lewis and Stevie Smith are doing some awesome stuff on TikTok. I know you're probably not on TikTok. But I haven't seen any of that stuff. But you haven't even seen like what they're posting from TikTok to Instagram or to Facebook. So. I don't oh, think dude. so. I've, I've been laying low, man. Just trying to take it easy. I'm gonna send you a couple clips after this, and you'll just you'll have to see it. Like Stevie Smith shit okay. is hilarious. Um, and Alicia right. Alicia Lewis is like doing uh, she's doing uh, duets with people and like dancing to songs. It's I don't know. People are trying to you know just have an uh, awesome distraction from the chaos. I've seen uh, Brian Smith. Speaking of the Smiths, I've seen Brian Smith put out some pretty funny content. Have you seen any of his videos? I, I saw one and I was cracking up. So he was sitting there behind his his 450 Kawasaki. And yep. He was pouring pouring a fluid onto his back tire, and then he got a brush out, and then he said, "Oh, you're recording this," and he took a drink, <laughs> and it was badass beer. The you know Kid Rock was sponsoring him. I don't know if he's still sponsoring him or not, but he, he said, "You're not supposed to be recording that." But yeah. he was you know all it was just having fun, you know and. And we got to entertain ourselves somehow. Dude, yeah, he's doing that. He's doing push-ups and challenges Jerry and Mies. Him and Mies are going back on push-up, back and forth on push-ups. That's pretty, uh, I don't know, man. Like, if you can't go out racing, you could still show the personalities, personalities of these guys and gals somehow, some way. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I was working on a video. I don't even know if they posted it or will have posted it by the time uh, this this goes live. But Chad Coase and Ryan Wells are doing some hot, a hot sauce challenge. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty entertaining. Uh, Mies has been remodeling his house. I don't know if you've seen this. He's done, it's pretty much a home and garden show with Mies. Like every day he shows you like a before and after of, of whether he did mulch or 
he uh, laid down some sod. He's a, uh, I guess he's turning turning around the house down in Florida that he's living in. But yeah, dude, it's I don't know. And dude, I'm working on a game show, a Jeopardy game show with ta- the boys from Tank Slapping Podcast. So um, I think yeah, you even it's, helped with a couple of questions, whether you realize it or not. <laughs> I don't, but is there money up for grabs? I mean, can I can I play? Can I sign up to play the game or what? Well, to be honest, we're supposed to actually test it out um, tonight after we record this intro outro. But um, so I don't know if if it works out. There may be something where where people can sponsor and play. You know, play for money. Who knows? We we don't we want it to prove that it works before we put it out there. Um, but it looks pretty damn cool. I think it'll be some something interesting the fans will like for sure. I would love to see a game where you and Bert Sumner go head to head about some flat track trivia i think that would be badass i would say he would he would stomp me i he knows so much he's forgotten probably more stuff than i know don't sell yourself short doobler i'm not kidding kidding. you're pretty i'm not kidding he he knows everything you're pretty knowledgeable when it comes to the flat track world as well but um but it would be entertaining as hell to, to watch you guys i don't know how the hell we'd come up with questions to for you guys that you wouldn't know but um maybe we can figure it out i don't know you, you probably have to go with some some inside questions that only like some of the riders might know, right? You know, or a mechanic might know, like a, a, a like what rear sprocket do you run on, <laughs> whatever track or something like that. You know, then then you might stump both of us. because yeah. we know the stats. You That's know? Good to know, we know the facts, we know the stats, we know the history of the sport. We might not know what gearing you're running on the Springfield Mile or whatever. Yeah. Now, um, we'll figure something out, man. I think it'll be fun, regardless. All that stuff is a great, like I said, a great distraction from from all the things that everybody's dealing with. So, I don't know, man. One thing that uh, that I definitely wanted to thank everybody for was the feedback um, from last week's uh, episode. We uh, we got some good news from Ollie. We set up a dedicated line that goes, you know, mes- your messages go straight to Ollie. Anytime you're thinking about Ollie or want to say hey to Ollie or talk to him. Uh, he's able to understand and hear uh, messages, so we set up a line for a dedicated line for his family to uh, play those messages for him. So um, that number is three five two six three nine two nine two four. I was able to get two four a uh, number with two four at the end, which was great. Nice. Um, again, that number is three five two six three nine two nine two four. You can call. You can leave a message. You could just tell Oliver what you're doing that day. Any and all messages are welcome. Uh, and uh, I don't know. It's just really something cool that we were able to be a part of and, and help them set up. If you are outside the United States or you don't feel comfortable leaving a message, you can also email. Uh, that phone number is also tied to a Google email, which is calloliver24 at gmail.com. And those messages can be read to Oliver. So uh, multiple ways to send messages to Oliver. I plan to do it uh, once a week at least, sometimes more probably. It's... It's a good way to reach out to Oliver as he's uh, as he's going through his recovery and, you know, help support the family and, and show him that we're thinking about him. It's not awkward or anything. You don't have to talk to anybody. You just go straight to a voicemail. You just leave your message and and Oliver will hear it from you. So I think it's really cool. I'm glad you guys got that set up. And, and it's a good way to, to keep in touch with Oliver and let him know we're thinking about him. Yeah, it's super badass. Um, and uh and yeah, from what I hear, there's there's been several messages left already. So and the family's pretty pleased with it. So that's it. Just makes you feel good when you can do something like that 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 helps somebody you care about. So, so yeah, man. Um, what's up? I I got one more thing before oh, we boy. get into this week's guest. What I you talked got? about Steve Nace earlier. I talked to him earlier. They did move. He had two races in Indianapolis at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yeah. They had to move it back because the weekend that he was going to be there was part of a motorcycle event there. 
but they moved it back because they moved back the date uh, the Indy 500. So huh. now Steve Nace will be there October 9th and 10th with an amateur short track and an all-star short track there at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, October 9th and 10th. So hopefully that's, you know, everything gets going, we get back to normal soon, and, and hopefully we can go there. Recent update there um, from the Steve Nace front, so good to get that in there. And, uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Indianapolis Motor Speedway because our, our guest this week might have some ties to the uh, historic track, huh? Yeah, and he might live there too, right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's the case. I think at some point he said he lives right down the road or a couple miles away. So I'm stoked about this one, dude. This is one of the guys in the pits that I I, I feel like I say this a couple of times, but I truly knew absolutely nothing about this guy other than you know he's been with Brian Smith for a long time, um, and he's a badass fabricator, all things mechanical that that you can customize on a on a bike and make it go fast. I really don't know anything about him at all. Like the, my first year in flat track was 2016 was the year that he and Brian won that championship. So um, obviously this guy knows what the hell he's doing and uh, it was fun to watch him during that season. But as far as like personally, I don't know anything about him. I don't know where he came from. Um, so you're talking about the crew chief for Brian Smith. Yeah, Mr. Dude. Ricky Howerton. Ricky Howerton. Let's, you want to give him a shout? I can't wait, dude. Call him up. Let's do it. An Oklahoma City phone call. That means one thing. Scotty Dubler or Shane Carson? <laughs> or all my uh, or all my my in-laws. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's so I forgot about that. We talked about where do we sit down and talk about that at? <laughs> uh probably during the rain delay, maybe at Springfield. Okay. I got a bunch of them in uh Tulsa. And, and kind of uh, uh, just around that whole area. Are they in-laws or outlaws? They're my dad. Well, actually, they're they're both both sides um, of my my mom and and my dad side. So yeah, I mean, that's, I lived there whenever I was a kid for a while. I gotcha. And then we journeyed up I forty four to Speedway Indiana, so my dad could take a shot at running uh, running the Speedway. Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yep. Your dad ran that track. Well, my so my dad was sprint car track champion and all that stuff, uh, super modified champion, all that, and right. like the, uh, that whole area. And so, yeah, we when we moved to Indianapolis, we moved up there, and my dad went to work for. I don't know if you remember a guy named Grant King back in the day. I've heard the name. Uh, yeah, he was a really famous guy in the seventies and stuff. And then after that, my dad went to work for uh, Pat Patrick, the Patrick racing okay. team. Right. Right. And, uh, that's where George McNaughty from Patrick gave my dad, uh, the opportunity to run the Patrick, uh, champ dirt car. And, uh, and he got, he, he tested at Phoenix and then just kind of never really got the opportunity. And, uh, and then he started down the road of, uh, having his own fabrication shop. So, that's where it went. Man, that is crazy. So so it sounds like you're into racing just from the get-go, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and my other side of the family, you know, uh, my wife, Colleen. So I know I had met her at some time before my 21st birthday. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> So my dad and her dad were teammates. My dad drove the, the STP Patrick Champ Dirt Car for for Patrick, obviously, and her right. and my wife's dad was the IndyCar uh, driver for Patrick. So, 
our paths had crossed probably a lot of times before I ever met her. So uh, what, what was what was her last name before you married her? Uh, Dollenbeck. <laughs> so Wally Dollenbeck, right? Yep. yep. So he came that... to Springfield with me a couple times, like in 2011, I think. He's been to a few of the races. So is Wally her dad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, and actually, it's that funny because so... Yeah. So, you know, when Wally was in New Jersey, he actually wanted to be a motorcycle racer, a flat track racer. And he went to, uh, I don't know, I can't remember what year it was, but way back in the day where he went to watch one of the flat track races. That's really what he wanted to do as a kid. And he's seen one of the guys get killed um, at the races and then he started looking to see how much the people that made in motorcycle racing compared to car racing. Right, and, uh, right. So he kind of went down the road of uh, four-wheeled. But he made his career in four-wheel. Um, but honestly, he's probably more passionate about two wheels. He's kind of like I am, you know. It makes makes her living in one and kind of always kind of defaults back to the two-wheel deal for the stuff that you like when you're not working. Man, I, I love Wally, and, and I, I like what he does. I mean, he's a, he's a very good announcer, too. I mean, I, you know, I don't think he, had, he was trained for that. That's just... So that's Wally Jr. That's her brother. Okay, okay. So Wally's, Wally Sr. was, um, you know, racing. Yeah, this is my father-in-law, so, I mean... Okay. He would have been racing you. in the 60s, 70s and stuff. Uh, uh, very, very close, two times to win the Speedway. One um, mm-hmm. that won California 500 a couple times just and then he was a chief steward of cart for the rest of his career until that deal went down well so so when the family gets together is all you guys talk about is racing or is there anything else in the world that exists <laughs> oh it's pretty much racing I mean it really makes for easy times it's it's I mean I couldn't ask for better in-laws I mean most of the time you know you hear people say they're going to their in-laws house and it's just painful you know and and for me, I mean, it's actually a lot of fun. And Wally and Peppy come through here and they stay here. And Wally loves, I mean, he loves, loves talking about flat tracking. Awesome. So you said you were born in Oklahoma, moved up to Indianapolis or Speedway, Indiana, right where the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is. So how old was that when you made that move up there? Um, 72 probably is when we made the journey up here. We stopped in in uh tennessee we lived there for a short time uh, my dad worked for actually worked with a guy named jack elam who owns j and j sprint car chassis um wow and worked uh worked with jack at, at i don't even know the name of the place uh and then shortly thereafter moved up to uh to speedway and then uh so we lived we lived in an apartment that's now just an absolute ghetto, but um, back in the day, it wasn't too bad. We lived there, and then when my dad won the Hoosier 100 in 1974, we moved into a house in Speedway that was literally uh, five blocks from from uh, turn one at, at the Indy 500. So, wow. yeah, I've lived and breathed that whole thing every year um, the month of May, so it's it's been really cool. Well, so did you ever have the desire to race yourself or did you race? I don't think I've ever asked you that before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. So, I mean, growing up, so it's a normal deal. You know, you're a kid, you get a dirt bike, you start riding, uh, you start racing motocross. And then I started racing go-karts. Uh, and then 
let's see, working for dad at the same time and sort of racing a little here and there. And then I went to college, moved away and went to Evansville, which is in Southern Indiana. And after my first year, my dad called and, and asked me if I wanted to, uh, to race a sprint car. And obviously that didn't take <laughs> too many minutes to figure that out. So I moved back home, uh, worked for my dad, went to college, which the, Purdue and Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I went. So worked, went to college and raced uh, at the same time. So it was kind of weird. So dad gets a sprint car, you know, my dad is a great race driver. So he just assumes that, you know, I had some skills. And so we go, we go to Putnamville for the first race, a local race. Second race, we go to uh, Sheldon Kinzer Memorial in Bloomington, which was a huge race. And then mm-hmm. the third race, uh, dad just decides that we're going to go run an all-star race at Eldora. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I never, never raced, never raced to the wolves. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we go there in early in the night. Uh, I had some fuel pump problems, so that ended pretty quick. Uh, and it may have been a good thing. Right. Um, so that was the end of 1989. So the goal was, is we were going to race the USAC series. Uh, and then we started the next year, uh, the first race I'd never run pavement before. So where do we go? We go to Winchester out of all places run there. And then we run, I think Eldora was the second race and on and on, but it was a tough first season. Cause it, that was back when they ran pavement, they ran wing dirt and non wing dirt all in the same series. Wow. So it was pretty, it was pretty, pretty hard, but I ran pretty good. I ran, um, I ran thirds, I ran fourths, I ran everything, um, you know, thereafter, uh, finished, um, fourth in the USAC national points, um, got, uh, was rookie of the year and then kind of went, ventured out on my own. I I went out and got some sprint car rides and some midget rides. And when Jeff Gordon went down to, um, to Charlotte to run the, uh, the baby Ruth Ford car, um, I, I, I jumped in that diet Pepsi midget that he uh, drove and ran it no for kidding. a while. And, wow. Um, yeah. So then uh, I guess I didn't do enough, good enough job. And I got fired in a, in a, in a young kid named, I got, actually I got fired out of my sprint car and midget ride in a, in a kid from Southern Indiana named Tony Stewart came in and, and, and he ran pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, so, I think we've uh, heard of that guy before. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know, about another year went by. And at that point, um, I don't know, I was kind of getting more involved in my dad's business and, uh, kind of figured out, okay, if, uh, if it doesn't end up going somewhere, um, somewhere quick, you know, that I needed to figure out what, what I was going to do. And I don't know, I probably was guilty of trying too hard at times <laughs> while driving. And I, I, I tore up a lot of stuff my second year and, and uh so another year and a half or so and i was pretty much um done racing and pretty much in my dad's business uh from then so before we move totally away from sprint cars what is your favorite sprint car racing memory um of me or in general just i want to know your Uh, favorite one (laughs) oh i don't know probably Probably in 1992, one of the Thursday night Thunder races, it was actually pole weekend. Those were like the biggest weekends of the year. They were live, live ESPN races. Dave Despain was in the pits doing the commentary. 
uh, Gary Lee was in the in the booth. Gary and Larry show it was, and mm-hmm. um, and we were at IRP. It was a super hard place to to drive and to set your car up, and and we had a good night. We well, I think ran I led twenty nine out of the thirty laps. I got passed on the lap. Uh, no, the twenty eighth lap. Yeah, and uh, so that was a big one for me. I mean, there was a bunch of good guys in there. Tony Stewart was racing. Um, you know, that, that was back in the day when some of the guys still ran the speedway. You know, like Steve Butler and Rich Vogler and those guys. They were all, uh, they were all pretty good. So, so I don't know. So who, who who'd you let beat you there? Uh, Jim Keeker was in that that V6 car, um, and uh, that car was. Well, let me. I'll compare it to. I was. I had the Kawasaki engine my in my sprint car, and <laughs> and that V6 had the XR750. And so there was a bunch of red flags um, in the race, which is typically not normal. And so me and Eric Gordon had raced pretty hard the whole race, and I had pretty much used up my rear tires yeah. in that V6. Um, it just it lays power down just like the XR and that thing in the last part of the race. He just he just I mean Jim was a great racer and he just beat me straight up, but I was pretty much screwed whenever I didn't have much rear tires. So I gotcha. All right. So you're saying you beat Tony Stewart that night then, right? Yeah, that's uh not not very regular, but um Right. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So you, you, you hang up the, the, the driving suit and you start working at your dad's shop. So how long did you do that before you, you started working on these motorcycles? Well, let's see. That was around 1992. So that was after um, the Honda deal was over because that, that was from about 83 to 88 or something probably. Right, um, right. And the fact being at the factory, Honda guys were just uh, three doors down. Uh, that was, I mean, I really fell in love with that racing. It was so cool. And I mean, those guys, I kind of idolized, um, Bubba and Ricky and then all the guys working on the bikes. I mean, Sparky and Skip and TJ and Dave and all those guys and then Gene, Gene leading the crew there. It was, it was pretty cool. And so, um, I still stayed in touch with Skip and still did a little bit of work on his motorcycles here and there. And so let's see, I got out of school in 92, um, and really kind of a, was away from it for a long time, um, kind of started running business, sort of moving it into the exhaust, uh, fabrication side of it. And I don't know, you know, in all honesty, it was kind of a harebrained deal. This whole, the whole motorcycle deal. I wanted, I really just wanted to build a street bike that was a, a flat tracker. And, uh, mm-hmm. so Jeff Gordon, um, the Speedway Engines, Jeff Gordon, that was on my motorcycle team, he was still a huge flat track fan. He went to maybe Lima or something, and I told him, I said, man, I really want to build a bike, but I I don't want to build a a V-twin. I want to build a a parallel twin. So he came back, and he had some pictures of Mike Scott's parallel twin. So I called Skip and asked him. I said, hey, if I build a motorcycle and I put that parallel twin Kawasaki in it, would you build – build me a real race engine, build it just exactly like you guys would go to the Indy mile with. And so he wow. said, well, you know, it's, it's expensive. This and that I said, skip them. Just, just what's the number. So he gave me a number and, 
And he said, are you really serious about doing it? And I said, yeah. I said, I want to build a really authentic bike that you could ride it to the Indy Mile um, and compete. And he said, he said, I've actually been looking at doing one of those engines because I'm getting kind of burnt out on the XRs. They're a lot of work. They fail a lot for, for no real reason. And so we just started talking more and more. I bought an engine on eBay, had it scanned. Um, so I could have it as a computer model. And then I just generated a computer model of a motorcycle around that engine. And when they came to the Indy Mile in 2010, I went there because I wanted to see what, you know, what this parallel twin and the, you know, and a real flat tracker, which at the time was Brian Smith riding for Warner. Uh, mm-hmm. I went <laughs> and I uh, and I still got pictures of it that night looking at it, you know, which I had no intention of racing. I just wanted a street bike. And so um, <laughs> it's kind of funny. So, oh, Jay Springsteen, you know, he can look different, you know, like back in the day he had long hair and all that stuff. And so I really, you know, didn't, I mean, I knew and I'd watched him race and all that stuff. And I can remember going up to Warner's pit and I'm kind of looking at the motorcycle and I'm kind of getting closer and looking, you know, at a lot of the details and stuff and, and this guy comes over in this raspy voice and he gets real close to me and goes, Hey buddy, what do you think? And I'm kind of, I'm kind of like leaning back cause he's kind of intruding my personal space, you know? <laughs> and I look down to see his credential. I'm like, I'll be a son of a gun. That's Jay Springsteen. I'm like, wow. this is cool as heck. So started talking to him a little bit. And then, so when we left that night, uh, I think Brian Smith had a uh, fast time that night. And I don't know, I think he won. I think he won Springfield and Indy that year. And then so I kind of went to work at really, really drawing that thing. And then then my dad talked me into making the second one for Skip. Um, So I built two street bikes. I gave one to Skip. He was going to turn it into a race bike, which didn't you know, need a lot. Uh, I took mine. I I got a VIN number for it, and I was riding on the street. And uh, and then Brian Smith meets Jeff Gordon up at PD's Pub up in up in Flint, and uh, so <laughs> he comes down to uh, he comes down to Indianapolis for the dealer show, and he was he went over to Speedway Engines uh, to see you know how those guys built you know the sprint car and the and a lot of the Indy Lights engines and stuff, and so Jeff says, hey, a buddy of mine next door's got. Uh, a street tracker bike. You want to go check it out? You know, and Brian's like, yeah, whatever, you know, he's seen a lot of those things. And right. so he comes over and he walks in the door and I'd never met him before. Uh, walks in the door and introduce myself to him. And he looks at the motorcycle and he looks and, you know, he's pretty quiet anyway, but he was super quiet. He's looking at it and he goes, did you build this thing? And I said, yeah. And he says, God damn. He said, this is the nicest motorcycle I've ever seen. He goes, well, he, he's like, can I sit on it? I said, yeah, I don't care. So he sits on it and he says, man, this thing feels, it feels, this thing feels like my old Rotex. And I'm like, cool. I was like, nice. uh, yeah. is that a good, th- is that a good, is that a good thing? <laughs> you know, I don't know. And so he right. says, yeah, man, those things are really small and all this. And I said, well, come check this out. I got the whole motorcycle drawn on, you know, on the computer and I brought the computer model up and was rotating it and moving the suspension up and down and taking parts off of it on the screen. And his eyes just got just gigantic and he'd never seen anything like that before. And so, uh, I mean, he was in there for probably an hour or so. And he says, uh, he says, oh, what the hell are you going to do with this thing? 
I said, I'm going to ride at the Union Jacks. That's where I used to, that was our <laughs> local watering hole back in the day. I said, I'm going to ride at the Union Jacks for lunch and probably park it, and that's it. And he says, uh, have you ever thought about racing it? And, <laughs> and I laughed because I know how a greedy racer thinks. It's always oh, everything yeah. for them. You yeah. know? So I kind of was joking. I said, you mean like, like, like me race it, like me ride it? And he goes, no, 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 me. And I was like, and I, and I thought to myself, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh-huh. Uh, so I said, no, I've never thought about having a race team or anything. Um, I said, it, it'd be, it would be cool. But, you know, I said, I don't have the money to fund a team. I said, and, and you know, I, you got one street bike, you know. And so we go to dinner that night and, and we talked and stuff. And, and uh, he was going to leave the next morning. And so before dinner ended, I said, uh, I said, I'll tell you what, tomorrow morning, I'll, I'll make a call. I said, I don't know, you know, the possibilities, but I do have a friend that is really, really, really passionate about motorcycles. Um, and he was a hell of a racer back in the day in motocross. And he just loves, loves, loves two wheels. Um, and that was Bo Crosley. And so Brian left, uh, I called Bo and, uh, <laughs> and Bo knew that I'd been building this motorcycle and uh, I tell him, I say, hey, this kid named Brian Smith, you know, he's a pretty good rider. He just, he won any mile and blah, 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 blah. I said, he wants to know if uh, if we would start a, a team and uh, take, you know, the bike that I've got now, get Skip's bike back, and then basically, you know, have to, you know, do all the rest of the stuff to start a team. But, I, you know, I said, are you, are you interested? And he goes, well, how much do you think it would cost? He goes, how much do you think it would cost? I said, shit, I, dude, I don't have any idea. I said, this is probably the dumbest phone call I've ever made. But, you know, and and I'd known Bo for a long time. And so I just shot him a number. And honest to God, two seconds of silence. He comes back and says, I'm all in. And wow. so I was like, I'm like, oh, man, that's cool. So, <clears throat> yeah, I got Skip's bike back. Skip came to town. We had a little meeting, me, Brian, Skip. Um and I uh, just kind of formed, formed the team then. And, uh, you know, Skip was a huge part of the team as he knew a lot of stuff. I mean, he was a great engine guy. He, he knew what not to do. A lot of times I'd have a lot of, you know, stuff that I wanted to do. And he's like, that's not going to work, you know? So most of the time I'd just go out on my own and he would prove me wrong. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so it was, that's kind of the way it started. I mean, I had really no intentions of starting a team. So then we go to Springfield and I mean, it was, you know, was me, Jeff and Dink, we show up to Springfield and I mean, yeah, we've been involved in racing our whole lives. Didn't really know anything about, you know, the real details of flat track engine stuff, the chassis stuff, you know, what's that, you know, when Clayton's running through the pits, you know, with the horn, you know, I'm like, what's that horn going off for? You know, and, and Brian's like, you guys got to get up to staging, you know, I'm like, we need to go. So, uh, so, you know, Brian wins, wins the heat race, wins the dash and leads majority of all the race and pulls a pretty, pretty big mistake coming off a of turn four, getting off the groove. He said he, he had been leading so easy the whole day. He he thought he was a sitting duck coming off of turn four, but as it ends up, no one could have passed him. But that's, you know, water under the bridge at this point. So, you know, getting on the podium, I mean, hell, I didn't even know if, if the thing would run or if, if, you know, if we'd qualify for the race. And so we, uh, you know, we really should have won the race. And so 
you know, we leave and I was thinking, man, this is weird. This seems kind of easy, you know? And, uh, so then we were almost, you know, expected to win. So then I started to get, I don't know. I always kind of in my own biggest doubter, you know, and I'm like, man, are we going to be one of those teams that like was the best team that never won a race, you know? So, mm. so we went back to work and we made some changes to the engine and the brakes and just a lot of little stuff that, that we needed to do. And we went to Sacramento was the next race for us and we won. So, mm-hmm. um, wow. that was probably one of the neatest parts of my racing life was when he won, when I got the ride around, I got on the back of the thing and I remember I burnt the shit out of my leg and man, that felt so good. <laughs> and, uh, so it was, it was, as we, as we go into turn one and two, I was so happy, man. I grabbed him and I said, I said, you did it. I said, I said, you won. And I'll never forget. He turned to his left and and he kind of patted my left thigh and he said, no, he says we won. And uh, at that time I knew he was a really, really good kid. Yeah, man. That is such a cool story. I didn't know half of that. I knew bits and pieces of it. I didn't know all that, how it all came together. And so that was 2012. You guys were really fast right out of the box. Like you said, so 2012 and 2013, you won a lot of races, almost won the championship in 2013. And then you kind of made a decision to walk away. So what happened there? We just getting burned out. No, I had some stuff in my business that I needed to, you know, how racing is. It just, it, it devours you. It consumes you. I mean, in order to do as good as you can, I mean, you have to just give it everything you have. And I, and, and, and I did. And, um, I don't know. I just felt like I was letting everything else in my life, everything go because I was so focused at trying to get better you know i mean we would go to a race and and i know jeff and dink probably hated me at times because we would leave the race and like if we would win say we'd win springfield you know we'd leave the Mm -hmm. race and and we'd get home and they'd be like well what do you think i'm like man we got we got to find a little more grip and we got to find a little bit more power you know we need we need to we need more you know it's more and more and more so i mean it's like a damn drug and so um I don't know. Yeah. So I kind of threw in the towel, even though I helped, um, kind of get everything going for the two, 2014. Like I modeled that CNJ frame that, that we cut the front of it off and modified a bunch of the front of it. And just, you know, just a bunch of stuff to get Brian going and, and, uh, Bo at Crosley still supported him. And, and, uh, and it was, I don't know, a matter of about two months <laughs> and, Brian's like, man, you got to come back. He's, he says, I, I really, I need, I need you to um, help me on this deal. Not that Dink and Jeff weren't, weren't doing their part. I think he just, he needed, he just needed some more help. And so at that point I, I missed it a lot. I mean, it was like, you know, cutting part of your family off. And, and um, right. so I jumped in with both feet and uh, just, uh, I don't, I was thinking the other day, I'm like, man, is this year eight or nine? It's like, didn't I quit in year two? <laughs> yeah, it just keeps going. So how how yeah. long exactly were you away before you jumped back in with both feet? Um, Probably about four races. Okay. Um, And then, and then I came back and then, you know, that was a great year. I mean, uh, and you know, honestly, we learned, we learned a lot because, you know, those chassis that I built, uh, like I said, I mean, I, I mean, I still don't have all the answers, but I had less answers back then. So I just built, you know, a, a motorcycle back then 
uh, to basically ride on the street. That was pretty cool. But mm-hmm. um, there were some tracks that it was really, really good and some tracks that it wasn't so good. And so I think once we had that C&J and we modified it, uh, I think we learned a lot just about flex characteristics and stuff for for different types of tracks, whether it's a gravel track or a, a clay track or, a, you know, a, a heavy track. So it seems like every generation of frames and stuff we've learned from it. And it's, it's kind of a good thing um, on one hand that we've moved from chassis to chassis because we really have, you know, we've made some mistakes. I mean, that 2015 bike that had built a skinny bike. I mean, that thing was so ahead of its time and so cool and so light, so small but I missed on about three things that were major things. It was kind of the nail in the coffin, um, looking back at that now. Um, so it's just all about just learning. Well, in 14, he won five races in, in 15, he won even more than that. And you still, you're still not happy and you're still learning things. So what happened and what'd you learn to take into 2016 when you won the championship? You know, I mean, everyone knows that the XR750, you know, was, I mean, that was just, that thing was a monster to beat at the track. It had just the right torque curve um, to put power down in the corner. And as long as the straightaways weren't, you know, too long, it was damn hard to beat that thing. Uh, I mean, even on a mile, a good Kenny Tolbert or a good Bill Warner XR750, I mean, those things were super strong. I mean, they were ticking time bombs, but they were, they were still good. So through those generations of motorcycles and engine development stuff, you know, we knew that in order to, to try to win the championship, we had to get better at the half miles. Um, and, you know, we won some half miles up to that and we got better at those. Um, but we definitely got a better engine package and the chassis got better. And honestly, you know, that's still when we were on four fifties, I mean, the nail in our coffin every year, I mean, we would leave, we left Daytona at times with zero points, um, or maybe one. Uh, so when you leave with one point and you lose the championship by one, um, you can figure, you can do the math and tell where you got to get better. It's got to be Daytona and Peoria, you know, those. So if it wasn't for that, I mean, you know, we won the twins championship in 12, 13, 14, 15. And I don't think they had it in 16. Well, won the championship that year, but so really on the big bike, you know, Brian's always been really good at that. And in his defense, you know, everyone says, well, he's a mile master, this and that. Well, you know, um, yeah, he is because he's super smart, but probably on the flip side of that, he was riding one of Tolbert's XRs on the half miles in my bike on the miles probably would have been pretty easy to win the championship like most of the years, but, uh, so it was hard. I mean, uh, and I kind of went through that same thing, you know, when I moved into the, to the Indian deal, uh, you know, Indian, when they came and we did that deal in 17 and 18, I mean, that was such a great proven chassis and engine combination that, you know, everyone else could, plunk their money down um and then but the thing about that whole program is once um i don't know it's like we came out at 17 and and did really good we won like maybe four straight races or something and um and then kenny and jared kind of got on to something and and we never figured out what they were on to and we really my budget, I didn't have a lot of money to do a lot of development. And, uh, so we were kind of, 
I don't know. I guess if you could say if there's one reason why we didn't go back and do the Indian deal in 19, it wasn't because I had any issues with Gary or any of those guys. Cause those guys, I mean, those guys are really cool and they're great. I mean, they're actually really good friends. And, and uh, but if you're going to try to go beat me and Kenny, you know, you got to step your program up and we just really didn't have the money to do some of the development to do that. I mean, uh, they just, they kind of overachieved, on their end of it and and you were trying to maintain it and have two bikes going you had you know you had brad baker on one of them you had brian on the other so you had even more stuff going out so it's it's hard to uh you know hard to get that going too if you're used to just running a one rider team yeah it's hard i mean i kind of knew that going in that it would be it would be hard because both guys i mean there's different personalities there's different riding styles you know uh brian Brian prefers to have uh, a bit more power where he kind of gives, you know, command of the engine. And Brad, if, if anything, would rather have yeah, detune the engine so he can ride, you know, ride like Brad Baker does, you know, just wide mm-hmm. open all the time. And so it was, it was definitely, for me, it was kind of a challenge to try to find that happy spot, you know. And uh, But that wasn't because there was any favorites or anything. I mean, actually, Brad is really – is a great great kid so the kid's amazing what he does after you know he got hurt uh he's kind of he really is kind of an inspiration for people that have those injuries but so yeah 17 and 18 17 was pretty good and then 18 was kind of a struggle and 19 uh when we ventured back to the kawasaki honestly i didn't think that it would it was going to be that hard i mean it just it shows that the uh that the Indian is that good of an engine that it just it, it's got kind of that halfway in between the XR and the and the Kawasaki power and uh, it educated me a lot in 19 because when we started out you know I mean basically it's me building motorcycles and the whole motorcycle and everything and then Jeff and Denker doing the engine side of it but you know when you're going up against factories and stuff it's tough and so as you start out the year unless you have a lot of testing which we didn't um started off behind the eight ball and and uh really until about halfway through the year maybe two-thirds of the way through the year we didn't really figure out our engine combination until then because we were back and forth on chassis stuff and trying to figure out whether the frame was too stiff or not stiff enough or the shocks weren't right or, you know, the geometry of the motorcycle wasn't right. So we, it's kind of one of those deals when you're not running like you should, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for avenues to get better. And, and, uh, until we finally started changing some stuff on the engine side of it, um, then we actually started getting going pretty good. And, and probably the last third of the season actually was, uh, you know, we, didn't win which that was a real bummer um i think we could have if we'd run the whole race at meadowlands but um but out of all the years honestly i probably learned more in 2019 than i I learned in all those years combined um because we had to spend so much time looking at shocks and forks and, and and uh geometry on the bike and all the engine torque curves and all that stuff uh so that's I don't know. If there was an upside to nineteen, that would be it. 
Yeah, absolutely. That has to make it more valuable. You know, you can take that stuff with you. Uh, I just have one more question on 2019. Did you did you start with the the championship bike like you you rode in 2016, or did you guys start fresh with something brand new? No, we started with with new stuff. I mean, geometry wasn't that much different. There's a few things packaging wise to make it easier to work on the motorcycle, but about a third of the way in into the season, it, it's. I mean, was it different? Yeah, was it different by a lot? No, not much. Uh, okay. Honestly, after we won, I don't know. There's some about at the end of the year, especially the bikes that we won with. I actually, I didn't want to. I didn't want to run those bikes. Uh, I put those up, and those things kind of mean a lot to me. And and then I figured that you know after after the 16 deal that we had learned enough that we could make the new bikes better. And and the bikes were better because when we went to Minnesota, we took our 2015 bike that we won a lot of races on um, and put the same engine in. And that was going to be, you know, that was the tail of the tapes there to, to show was it chassis or was it engine? And Brian said, no, hands down, the 19 bike was better. Um, oh, wow. So, you know, it was a long year. <laughs> yeah, well, that's in the past now. So after 2019, um, you mentioned opportunity development is something you value. So moving into 2020, is that something you can take with you to the the, the factory Harley Davidson Vance and Hines team? Oh, for sure. I mean, if if I would have went there without knowing what I know um, from 2019, I'd have probably looked like a like a bonehead. There's for sure. Uh, stuff on the engine side and the bike side that we've changed for sure for the good. I know that we haven't raced yet, um, but we ha- we've tested a lot. We've had a lot of really good tests, and I was really, really, really excited for Daytona. I mean, even though Brian's not exactly a TT guy, that's what people say. Um, you know, he has finished on the podium there. <laughs> I mean, he's finished second, so uh, mm-hmm. not that bad. And then you got, and then you got. You know, Vanderkoy, who he's he's a good TT, he's a good TT racer, and that mm-hmm. kid will give you uh, a million percent every second on the racetrack, no matter if your bike's good or bad. Um, and that's what I like about him. And then the young kid, he's uh, Gautier, he's, yeah, yeah, he's actually a great kid. He's quiet, uh, but he's uh, he listens a lot. He's he's a great rider, and he can feel a lot that's on the motorcycle. Brian's Brian's really fussy and he notices really small differences and helps you get your bike and your engine program better. Dalton can feel the same thing Brian does. He just doesn't know how to communicate it yet. But when we when we go test, you know, like the three riders will be standing there and and uh you know, Brian will will say, you know, well, you know, getting in the corner, it kind of feels like this. When I just go to ver, just pick the throttle up, it, it'll do this, you know, and then Dalton will he'll say, yeah, 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 that's, that's exactly what I feel too. And it, I think he's going to get there because he's got the skills and he's got the feeling that Brian does. I think he's going to learn a lot from Brian on how to communicate that. So awesome. uh, it, it's been, it, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And then to have, you know, Terry and Byron, I mean, those guys is, uh, I was kind of intimidated. Like when I went to talk to those guys for the first time, and we went out to the Vance Nines building, and we sat down in their conference room. You know, it was kind of formal in there, and and uh, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking around. You know, there's Byron Nines. You know, I mean, he's legendary engine builder. You know, and, and so 
you know, Terry's, Terry's telling me, well, tell Byron, you know, about this Indian stuff, this and that. And, and, and I, I had to stop and I'm like, I'm like, hang on. I was like, this is really uncomfortable. Me telling Byron Hines, I'm like, that guy's, he's forgotten more stuff that I will ever know about engines. Um, so it's, it's actually been a lot of fun. All the guys out there at the Vance and Hines place, um, are a great group of guys. And it was kind of weird when, when Brian and I did walk into the shop for the first time, when Terry walked us through the shop, people kind of looked at us, you know, the first reaction was like, what the hell are these two guys doing here? <laughs> and then, uh, when, uh, when Terry told the guys that we were going to join, you know, the Harding deal. It was pretty cool because you could see it in all the guys' eyes. I mean, those guys have worked a lot of hours and they worked hard and they really love racing. It was like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when you win races, there's nothing ever that feels like that, you know, and I wish for those people that work hard and care about it could get that feeling because it's something that you'll never forget. And so hopefully we can give those guys that feeling. Yeah, that'd be awesome. At one point last year, I think I was talking to Terry Vance and he said there were 200 people focusing on those three motorcycles, you know, or the two, the two motorcycles last year and stuff like that. And they were just trying everything they could to get those XGs up front. So how cool is it to get that reaction from those people when they announced that you were be part of the team? <laughs> yeah, it was neat. I mean, uh, like I said, I'm, those guys had they'd worked a lot and uh i really think all three of our guys i mean they're they're a lot different all three riders from each other but they've all got skills that sort of go you know we don't it's not like we have three mile guys or three short track guys or three you know three uh henry wiles at peoria so it's kind of good i think they'll fill the the gaps from each other and lift each other up on the areas that that the other guys need improvement um but i'm uh we've got a really really good half mile package right now that we've kind of already settled on we're working on our mile stuff i'm pretty uh pretty optimistic i mean i've got i got i got a lot of data from the last eight years and, and i think you know we're in pretty good shape and and it's my understanding that everything's being done at the vance and hines shop so not at your shop anymore is that right yeah 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 no it's all at the vance and hines deal you know, it's there was kind of a little bit of strange stuff in the media about that about you know oh, I'm, you know i'm gonna have my own satellite deal and that deal was never you know that that wouldn't work anyway i mean that's not exactly how a team works so i mean it's it's structured the right way and i'm i'm out there you know three days a week or something and uh just looking over stuff and kind of the ship in the right direction but uh i mean they've they've really i, mean, I looked at all the stuff when i came into that deal i looked at their engine stuff and the chassis stuff and crazy thing is you know how racing is you've been involved with it your whole life and it doesn't take mm -hmm. it doesn't take much to be off um to be a long way off on the racetrack so a little here a little there you know maybe a lot here <laughs> equals yeah. you know a lot on the racetrack and they really actually had they've got all the parts like the big parts there they just got to put the stuff together put it together right without really without giving you the the answers here um to get you know to get in the winter circle do you think it's going to happen this year in 2020 if we go racing yes 
<laughs> I, I do too. I love that. I love that answer because you know everything's up in the air right now for sure. But I talked to Brian as we headed down to Daytona, and he said that he's learned a whole lot in the testing, and he said actually in, in some parts of the track it actually sounded and felt like and pulled off the corner like the old XR did. So that's got to be a good thing, right? Yeah, when we tested the first few tests, we had a bunch of different combinations there, and uh, and it was you know a pretty slick track. It was a three eighths, uh, pretty round track, you know, where you're really trying to keep the tires underneath you, uh, kind of similar, you know, to a, a little bit smaller Texas. And uh, testing went really, really good. I mean, we we took the combination that they had in in nineteen. And then uh, we had a couple different versions of that, and we had a bunch of accessories to go on it to uh, to change it there at the track, and and um, unanimously all the all three riders were hundred uh, percent like that thing is way easier to ride. Um, wow. And we made some chassis adjustments to the thing actually to get the motorcycle the middle of the corner to to turn a lot better. So we left that test. Um, with a real positive outlook. I mean, you know, and, and another huge part of that equation too, I think was sort of the team gelling to make sure that, you know, all the team guys got along and, and that they got along with me and I got along with them and the riders got along with each other and all that stuff. Um, and that's what Terry said. He said, man, at the test, he goes, it's, it's amazing how, how well everyone interacted, you know? And I kind of looked at him. I was like, well, you know, we're, we're on the same team here, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what, what went on, but it's, I, I actually look for uh really good things. Cause when we tested a second and third time, you know, we just uh, kept getting better and better and better. I mean, not by a little bit, by quite a bit. Um, and we had some other bikes that we took with us to compare, uh, you know, where we were at. And, and uh, so we're, we're pretty close. I was going to say, it, it's probably been tough around there the last couple of years, you know, not winning, you know, I, you know, the first time in history, uh, a Harley has never won a race. It's happened a little while ago. So they're ready to start winning again. So I think, I think you and the combination of the three riders we've been talking about is a perfect combination for them to do that again. I, I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't see any reason why, why we shouldn't win many races this year. I mean, I, I really, I like what I see in the engine side of it. Uh, motorcycle side, you know, ever. I mean, the riders are healthy, they're uh, focused. Uh, we just got to get on track. Yeah. In this downtime, have you guys been able to test some more since we, you know, since Daytona got postponed and then the other races followed suit? Have you been testing at all or working in the shop or what have you been doing to stay busy? Well, no, we haven't tested. Um, we, can't, you know, that came back from Daytona and until the governor basically put in that no work order, um, worked up until that Friday when that deal happened. So, um, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think that, you know, I mean, Vance and is a pretty good sized company and they're just trying to do, do the right thing to make sure people don't get sick. Cause I really think that it's going to take everyone in the country's cooperation to make sure that this virus doesn't, um, just keep getting bigger and bigger because if it does i mean it's just gonna it's gonna push everything back months and months and months if we're all just smart for a short time i think Mm -hmm. we can get you know get back on the track quicker amen you you should be a president or something (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Well, we're. I'm from Oklahoma. There's never been an Oklahoma president, has there? Well, it might as well be you. I don't think so. Country, maybe a country singer. Yeah, there you go. Cool. <laughs> well, we're just about done with the episode. Carter's uh, typing me something out right now, so let me figure out what he's got going on. But uh, yeah, we got. He said. He said Howard's in 2020. See, you still you could still get in that campaign and stuff. We can, we'll back you up here. <laughs> Yeah, where is Chris? I thought he was going to be. Uh, he was such a good um, part of the broadcast. I thought. Uh, yeah, what he's, was that, 20, he's doing a great job. Twenty thirteen. I, I thought he he did a wonderful job in the booth with you. That's the other Chris. This is Chris Carter. You're talking Chris Carter. Oh, that Chris. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Motion Pro yeah. Chris Carter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, same same name, different guy. <laughs> so so. We're we're near the end of the episode, and it's time for Graham's question. I don't know if you've met Graham or not, but that's my grandma, and she asks a question every guest we have, and she wants to know what Ricky Howerton does in his own personal time. Like, do you have any hobbies outside of racing? Because she's known your past and how much you've devoted into you know this racing program. So what do you do in your spare time? Do you do anything for fun besides hanging with your family? Um, I mean, up until this year, honestly, I haven't had any spare time. I know that sounds crazy, but I mean, I would, I'd, I'd literally work, um, a hundred hour weeks for 40, 45 weeks a year. Uh, and that's, wow. uh, that's been, it's been tough, but yeah, I mean, I, I love to cycle. Um, I got a lot of road bikes and mountain bikes and that's, I did a lot of that before I got involved in the motorcycle side of it and so that's probably the thing I like doing the most. My kids now are into into driving and racing uh, shifter go karts. So um, nice. Dad's sort of the team mechanic and sponsor of the kids' shifter program. <laughs> right on. But it's kind of cool because I've always kind of wanted. You know, I mean, I'm pretty competitive, and and it's always been pretty easy to beat your kids in whatever they do. Um, and and now the kids are old enough where they're beating dad pretty easy, you know. And so it's wow. been kind of tough for dad to swallow that, but it's neat to see. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. I got to drive a shifter cart one time, and and you're like an inch off the ground, and those things are so dang fast, man. Oh, they're they're the best. They're fun. They're, I mean, it's it's where what the Formula One and the IndyCar guys. I mean, what they do to kind of mm-hmm. go out and just train. I mean, they're they are they're super fast and handle great. Yeah, they stick to the ground. So to wrap up our episode, we have rapid fire questions. So tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you the question. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. What's the favorite bike you've ever ridden? Now remember, it can be a bicycle because we know you're into those. You just told us that, and we we know you're probably more into mm-hmm. motorcycles. But what's the favorite bike you've ever ridden? Colnago bicycle. All right. Uh, is that a is that a street bike or a mountain bike? It's a road bike. It's it's, it's their handmade Italian bikes, and they are they're okay. You're a motorcycle guy. You've raced flat track, and and you know how yep. just the perfect the frame that has the perfect amount of compliancy and stiffness where it, where it just it gets grip and it's so pleasurable to ride. That's what the yep. Colnago is. Okay, so like a road tax, like Brian Smith said. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite racetrack? It could be cars. It could be Indy. It could be dirt. It could be sprint cars, bikes, motorcycles, whatever. What's your favorite track? Uh, one answer would be simply the Indy 500. I grew up. I grew up next to it, and I've been there virtually. Well, so I started going motorcycle racing because we raced on Memorial Weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was there. That's what we do for our living is build exhaust for those cars, but. Um, 
I mean, I still get goosebumps on my arms when I think about that race. And when I used to hear Jim neighbors sing back home in Indiana, it almost, right. I mean, it makes you emotional and teary eyed. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell me something we don't know about Brian Smith. Oh boy. That's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I would say what most people don't know about Brian Smith is, is how smart he is. He's very quiet. He's an introvert. Um, he doesn't let a lot of people into his close personal life. Um, mm-hmm. but he's super smart. Um, and he's, he's, a he's just a great, just a great guy. You know, he, uh, family is a big deal to him. I mean, obviously it'd have to be to live in Flint <laughs> without him. <laughs> um, right. But, uh, it's, uh, he is. He just, you know, he loves his sister and and his mom and dad and stuff. He's just, he's just a great guy. But his, in between his ears, I mean, that's how he beats the guys because he's just smart. Love it. Great answer. Who's your favorite flat tracker of all time? Boy, that's a tough one because, I mean, I like both of them so much as kids. Um, because if I if I say Ricky Graham, I know if Bubba's listening, he's gonna get mad. Um, <laughs> Both of those guys I really loved as kids, and I'll I'll love them forever. Uh, so I, I I'm I'm that's a coin toss. Okay, I'm right there with you. Those are two of my favorites as well. So who's your favorite person to go bench racing with? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I would say I don't know. Brian and I have had some pretty fun ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I get along with a lot of people. Um, shit, I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, like I said, Brian's pretty fun because I can talk to I, I can talk to him pretty intellectually, or just be totally just silly and talk about the dumbest things ever. <laughs> Why you know <laughs> you're at the bar or something. So that's what makes it yeah. fun. <laughs> All right. What's a what's a favorite thing you've ever heard from a race fan? The favorite thing, uh, probably how much power does that thing have? <laughs> yeah. My answer on the Kawasaki is everyone that asked that, I'd say just enough. Just enough to get to the checkered flag first. I was going to say, that's not like a monster <laughs> truck question right there. How much horsepower that thing got? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's, what's the first thing you do after you leave a racetrack? First thing I do when I leave a racetrack, this is crazy. Um, I usually, as I'm driving down the road, I'm usually thinking about how we could get better and what things that we didn't do that night that we could have done. And I'll usually like talk to the guys in the truck and then I'll call Brian as he'll usually drive in the other way or at the airport or whatever. But it, it is, it's like we have about a one hour debrief um, hours later to go over. Okay. Cause there's nothing worse than leaving the track. And, and I don't know, this has to be common with everyone. You leave the racetrack and then after you leave the track, no matter how you finished, you're, you're, you're thinking, shit, we didn't, you know what? We didn't even think about doing this. That would have been way better. Uh, so that's usually what I, what I do is I think about what we need to be doing for the next event. I got you. That's a good answer. I like that. 
So the last one I, I think is the toughest one. We kind of save it for last, but uh, what are you most proud of? Um, probably my work ethic and just, just the amount of um, effort that I've put into work at my shop, at the exhaust business, um, at the flat track team, um, and the cubic hours and dedication uh, that I put in because I know there's a lot of other stuff, you know, that's probably, you know, went by the wayside, but it's just, I don't know. I mean, I love the sport so much. I just, I want to, I want to do so good in it. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's some other really, really good, good people involved, you know, it's hard. It's just, it's hard to win races. And, uh, so I'd, I'd say my work ethic would be, would be number one. That's awesome. I love that answer too. So, uh, before we let you go, do you want to say thanks to anybody? Oh man, that's, I mean, <laughs> I, that's a long, long list. Probably too long to say on the radio. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've, there's been so many people that have supported, you know, me and my program. I and mean, first and foremost, you know, my wife and kids for not telling me to get out <laughs> when, when I'm, uh, <laughs> never around but i guess i was still paying the mortgage so um i wasn't here anyway so it was like me not paying me here but um i mean really i mean everyone from them to to skip in the beginning to you know everyone at the you know boat crosley jeff and dink gary indian you know terry and byron i mean there's so many guys i can't even i can't even uh, you know if i would if you'd have told me that earlier i probably would have had about a you know thousand line pages I'd have had to go through, but there's, um, just everyone through this whole journey has, uh, has really made my life, um, pretty, pretty fantastic. That's awesome. That's why we saved that question for last, by the way. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. So I got to tell you a real quick story before I let you go, but a friend of ours, both of ours, uh, Shane Carson called me up a couple of years ago and says, why don't you ever talk to Jeff Gordon? And uh, Ricky Howerton and, and those guys. And I'm like, they always look like they're so serious and they don't want to be interrupted. And he's like, just go up there and talk. start talking to Ricky. Ricky thinks you, you're ignoring him. And so so <laughs> I think I, I think I actually took Chris Carter with me one time. I think we were at a rain delay or something. And, and we finally cornered you and we told you we wanted to have you on the podcast. And, and I'm so glad uh, that we had the corona going around right now. So you had time to sit down and talk to me and, and come on the podcast. But it was through our mutual friend Shane Carson that made this happen. Shane is everywhere, and he always makes people friends. So uh, <laughs> once again, uh, he's he's worked his magic. He, he's he's yeah. a great he's a super great guy. I mean, my dad's been friends with him, and I you'd have to ask Shane, but I think my grandpa was the first one ever to give Shane Carson his first ride. Really. Wow. Yeah, you'd have to ask him, but I think that's the the, the right story because he went racing with my grandpa back in the day. So okay, Shane's wow. no spring chicken. No, that's right. But he's he's been around a while <laughs> and he's done a little bit of everything. But he's a he's a he's a great guy, man. Uh, Ricky, we appreciate the time, and uh, I look forward to watching you guys hopefully here real soon on the 2020 season on the Vance and Hines Factory Harley Davidson. And uh, good luck, and again, thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you, Scotty. Holy shit. You know, you know, there's there's some guests that I feel we could spend hours talking to. Days. 
he's he's definitely one of them because we we just barely scratched the surface. I Dude, mean, I had guy. so many more questions about his dad's shop, about you know, about his racing career that I wanted to get to, and and him driving a car that Jeff Gordon used to drive was just incredible. I'm sitting here in awe. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like he talked about Jeff Gordon, but he mentioned. Uh, well, there's, yeah, there's two of them, right? So it sounds like he right. talked about them both at different times, and I couldn't like, like, as he said, Jeff Gordon. I was like, is he talking about that Jeff Gordon, or is he talking about four wheel Jeff Gordon, right? Like, um, either way, I mean, <laughs> to know both of those guys and uh, work with those guys is pretty badass. The family, like the family history, the family tree is like deep, deep in the racing roots, right? Like, um, cool, super cool shit, dude. Like, just to hear him explain the first time he and brian met and you know that, that was awesome that, the yeah. first win with brian like i i had chills dude like on their second race yeah no their shit like podium race, they win a national podium the first race at springfield win the first one yep. at sack like holy shit like there's just so many different questions that you want to ask from those stories and uh like you said dude you could spend hours with them could spend days um and i don't think he's done man i think He's still writing his, you know, his story. Uh, and I do think, man, I think he's going to bring a lot to Harley. I think he's going to bring a lot to this team. And uh, I'm sure he already has. Like he said, the tests have already been going pretty well. Uh, look forward to seeing what him and, and the Harley boys do this year. And, and you know what? I think it's going to be beneficial to have three riders that they can bounce things off of. You know, you know, you got you've got Vandercoy who's been there for a little while. You got Gautier who rode one, not a factory bike, but, you know, a a factory supported bike last year and did very well on them and then you've got brian smith who's got so much knowledge i think they can all bounce different things off of and maybe they can try different things with different riders and that will help their their learning curve go even faster so uh, i liked what he said if we start racing in 2020 he thinks they are gonna win races i think he's one of the perfect most perfect fits for harley right like he said at one part of the interview uh you know having an opportunity to develop a bike is a huge thing that he he strives to do and, and looks for uh i don't think there's anybody out there that wants to develop a motorcycle to be indian more than harley davidson so uh, i think it's a perfect fit i think they're gonna have some fun this year uh and like i said look forward to seeing how they go and harley versus indians gone back as long as both manufacturers have been around so it's going to be great you know like we've said hopefully we get back to racing just as soon as possible but uh man what a great podcast i think it might be my new favorite dude it's it's definitely up there if it's not my favorite like holy shit, dude like i want to i want to call him back and talk to him for another hour but i don't want to um, keep him from his narco show i don't know yeah. <laughs> yeah we had to wait a little while before we got him on here but man it was definitely worth the wait and uh and that was that was awesome. I, I'm, I'm super impressed with that one. Yeah, dude. Good shit. Um, anything else? You want to wrap this one up or what else you got? I got nothing, man. I'm, <laughs> we're just trying to stay safe here in Oklahoma. I hope you guys are trying to stay safe down there. Yeah, dude. We're in quarantine uh, officially at midnight tonight on Thursday. So um, we'll wrap this up. I'll, I'll get this out and uh, try to find something to keep me busy throughout the weekend. All right. Well, maybe this is time to reach out to get some some older racers that maybe have retired and maybe get some more crew chiefs in here. And, uh, we had somebody from, uh, Vance and Hines or the Harley team that was wanting to come on too. We haven't got them lined up yet. So maybe we might have time for that too. So, I think uh, there's, you never know. There's plenty of time to get some episodes in here. I think, you know, it's great that we're cranking out new content. Not a lot of people are able to do that right now. 
uh, we have this platform that we've built that, that, that allows us to do that remotely week in and week out. And uh, dude, the, the feedback that you've gotten, the feedback that I've gotten, you know, from this podcast, from other podcasts that, that I'm a part of, it's just great to, it's great to see that. And you can tell the people are appreciative of it. So I'm thankful to be able to continue to do this week in and week out. And uh, we're going to keep cranking them out because people are loving it. Well, I'm glad we can't get sick by looking at each other on Skype. So that's, that's, I'm, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> Being sick of you and being sick physically are two, are different, two different things. things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I usually say keep it on two wheels. You keep it on four wheels. But how about you keep it inside and keep safe? <laughs> yeah, I'll keep it inside and you keep it outside. Um, okay. Because neither of us are going to be on any wheels anytime soon, I don't think. But, uh, but I don't yeah, think man. so. All right. Well, you want to do it again next week? Right. Yeah. Smash that like button. Tell Jeez. all your friends. We're still pushing out new podcasts every Friday right here on Off The Groove. Thanks for everybody for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next Friday. Peace. In the can. My Corona. It's Corona time. It's Corona time. It's Corona time right now. It's Corona time right now, man. Pop the top. Hey, babe, bring me a lime. Oh, boy. All that's going on the end. Fantastic. It's Corona time.